All Things in the Name of Love, with your host, Dr. Erica Riesberg. Music performed and written by Megan Moreau. Can you help me redefine truth and preservation of our soul shine? I can feel it, yours and mine. Close your eyes and witness it inside. In your bones, you will know. Trust and let go. Episode 53, Awareness and Vulnerability with Corey Blake. Today I have with me Corey Blake, who is an amazing human being that I got the opportunity to meet last month at a Portland Conscious Capitalism event. Corey is the founder and CEO of Roundtable Companies, a storytelling company and the publisher of Conscious Capitalism Press. Prior to starting RTC in 2005, Corey was a professional actor in Los Angeles, acting in one of, I love this, acting in one of the 50 greatest Super Bowl commercials of all time, which is pretty awesome, and guest starring on numerous popular television shows, including Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Shield, and Joan of Arcadia. He is an avid supporter and sponsor of Conscious Capitalism, who has appeared on their main stage at the last seven national events. His work with books and graphic novels has yielded 15 independent publishing awards and mentions slash features in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Inc., Forbes, and Wired. Corey is also the creator of the Vulnerability Wall and the Vulnerability is Sexy trademark card game. His documentary of the same name won the 2017 Addy and Hermes Awards for branded content. So what I love about you is we have this connection because I, I do voiceovers still and I've been seeped in popular culture. That's what I studied for my PhD was popular culture. And you were, you were pop culture. Well, that's fun. <laughs> and so like, what was the aha moment that made you switch from being seeped in that to having this greater awareness one of them was my my Mountain Dew commercial that I was a part of, and you'll have to forgive me being being trapped at home as okay. <laughs> animals is, is one of the one of the things to contend with right now. But when I was when I was doing the Mountain Dew, well, it wasn't awareness. I was doing the Mountain Dew commercial, feeling I'm pretty on top of the world, and and that experience was both thrilling and also illuminated a lot for me around around purpose, right? I had to ask mm -hmm. myself, you know, is, is the purpose of my talent to encourage people to drink Mountain Dew? And, and, and that got confused, of course, with money, mm -hmm. right? So, so that whole experience, I stayed within that for quite some time. Obviously, I was, the commercials were a big thing for me for many years, but there was just this eventual disillusionment, this recognition of, I'm a, I'm a crayon in other people's crayon box. I show up and, and do what they want, or there was also just a general awareness that I was like um, a guest who came to dinner, but wasn't really part of the family. I would walk into things that people had been working on for a long time, and I would be there for one day to five days at most. And then I leave and, and they stay together. And, and that, that lack of belonging started to really wear me down. I wanted to be part of something that like, you know, I, I learn in community best. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I contribute best in community. And so those were things that I, I wasn't getting from my career. And, and eventually it was kind of heart-wrenching and confusing yeah. right, to be compensated so well while simultaneously feeling like most of the people who auditioned for this probably could do this job. Like, why am I getting it? You know, right. why am I lucky on one hand, but on the other hand, is this really what I'm meant to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that because I, I feel that with voiceovers too. I mean, I don't do as many as I used to, but I was like an afterthought. And my greatest joy was I, when I was in grad school, I, I did this collaborative project with the Maine State Museum, Maine Public Broadcasting and the Maine Folklife Center. And I was right in the center of it and we created things. And I loved that because mm. I was part of it. And 
I haven't really experienced that to that degree as since then. And it's just this longing for community. And so from that lack of cohesiveness, which I'm, I'm resonating with you on, how did you go from divesting yourself of that career into where you are now? Well, it's to some degree, I, I guess, um, I was in a slow process of blowing it up. Okay. <laughs> and I say that meaning that, you know, I, as I was becoming more disillusioned and, and, and confused by what was going on, the, the outward, uh, you know, seeming excitement around what I was doing and then the inward confusion of like, but does it matter what, you know, what, what, what is this, you know, th- those came to a head and, and, and eventually I, I, I mean, I started producing and directing to try to find some control Mm-hmm. Right to be a part of, like to 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 create things I could be a part of for a longer period of time. While simultaneously, I was smoking a lot of pot because I was, you know, I, I was trying to numb the yeah. this, that confusion. And so, and I got to the point where where you know, if I was awake, I was I was getting stoned. And so there was mm-hmm. a period of time where where I was going out on auditions high and like, I mean, I was just not in a good place. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure it didn't, it didn't help my career. So it was kind of <laughs> right, like blowing things up a bit and forcing me to, to figure out things differently. And then when I got married, by that time, I was, I was more mobile. I didn't necessarily have to live in LA anymore. And so I came back to Chicago where, where the woman that I married and I'm still married to was living. And, and that, that pulled me out further mm-hmm. in a really healthy way. It, it, yeah. uh, it was necessary. I, I get that. And I'm going to go even deeper here because what it feels like is you had this, this awareness of connecting with your soul more deeply and tuning into what didn't resonate with you anymore. And the numbing I get, because I'm an expert at numbing and I call myself on it all the time. That's the, I don't know what this is and I have to hide because I can't process it. So have you been able to, my, my sense is when I met you, that you meditate and you're very present. And when did that kick in for you? I think I started, I started that journey, that part of my journey, I'm going to say around 2007, 2008. So I, I left LA 2005 and we, my wife and I got married. I did the back and forth uh, a month at a time for six months. And then I was like, okay, I need to live with my wife. This is, this is crazy. Yeah. And so I came back to Chicago and, and then a couple of years went by or I had started my company, but not from a very purpose-driven place, from a very practical place. And thankfully, because of my time in LA, people pulled me into purpose. Like I got, I got fortunate in that regard. People asked me to start helping them with books that, were, that mattered. And mm-hmm. then I was like, oh my God, I love this. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of became addicted to that. But I would say, you know, that in the beginning uh, of RTC, I, I, I wasn't hyper aware. I was, st- I was uh, very achievement oriented, very blinders on. All I saw were the goals that I set. Right? Mm-hmm. I was very good at, at chasing those, but I was missing anything the universe was telling me at that time that started to open up for me when I started investing in my personal development. And the first Mm -hmm. thing that I did, Michael Gerber, who wrote E-Myth, was doing these intimate group gatherings called In the Dreaming Room. Mm -hmm. And they were like two full days. Back then they were three grand, which I had never invested something like that. It didn't seem, it wasn't something that was rational. It didn't make sense to spend that kind of money when the company was so young. And and yet I I really felt compelled. And so I, I went to that. And, and it was a wonderful experience. There were only 20 people in the room for two days. And, nice. and he would do this thing called the hot seat where you got 30 minutes with like, you know, laser focus on your behavior and, and he would interview us and, and, but it was, it was indeed a hot seat. I mean, <laughs> like, no kidding, and, but I, I, it was truth, right? It was, it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was truth from someone who had an ability to see a layer of truth. And even if there were aspects of it that I would say, the story that he was telling about what he was seeing might not have totally resonated, but he was still seeing the thing, mm-hmm. right, that I could then take a look at afterwards. And from then on, I, I really kind of, I would say I kind of got addicted to writing 
good sized checks to like go have these these amazing experiences that opened up and expanded my own awareness of myself. And so I've, I've kind of been in a program of one sort or another ever since then. Mm, I love that. Me too. It's, it's, it's been, it's been incredibly rewarding. Well, and I saw you bringing that into your, your emceeing at this Elevate Capitalism event where you actually, somebody would speak and you'd say, okay, we're going to pause and reflect. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> wait a minute, you're teaching. I, and I, I mean, it was a group of people interested in conscious capitalism. And that was just such a beautiful shift in presence. Mm. Because, you know, I, I'm a former academic, I'm a recovering academic. And so I'm good at taking notes. I'm really good at taking notes. Am I really good at pausing to see what resonated with me? And then, reflect on it like why did it resonate and that that i would love to see more people do hmm. how do you give talks around the country you've told me that you travel all the time how else can you or i bring this deeper awareness in in conver- in just day-to-day conversations well it's i mean it's it's available to us anytime I think the key is that awareness, right? So one of the things that I'm very grateful for that I learned through the awareness work, that's just part of the most personal development pathways have some form of awareness as a, as a component. And there are different, there are different types, I think, of, of awareness, mm-hmm. right? So, but I think it's, it's always available. And, and, it's, and what I've learned through my time is simply the, the moment when I can remember, oh, I am I am so I am someone having an experience right now as opposed to being in the if I can take that step back mm-hmm. and look and be the person experiencing something as opposed to being in the tornado of whatever's happening mm-hmm. then then every opportunity is an awareness opportunity I mean right. there, there are an infinite number of them every day so I think the the, the the playing field is there but it is the it is it took me several years to hone more control over pulling myself out Mm-hmm. To, to just, you know, to then ask the question of, okay, what's occurring for me? What's the experience in my body? Mm-hmm. And then how am I making meaning from that? Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that, that I think is, speaks to the role that I play in, in the equation, I'm very good at taking what I'm experiencing in my body and finding a way to bring it out my mouth so I can speak mm-hmm. to it. Like that's, that I know is really hard for a lot of people. There's like, we can get them to a point where they, they know there's things going on, but the ability to articulate it, Mm -hmm. to find the metaphor, or even to just share the crazy weird things that we happen amidst, that that happen to us amidst awareness. Like I, you know, all kinds of things I might see, I might, if if I really pay attention to what's occurring, there might be light, there might be energy like things I don't understand yet, but I can, as I speak to them and say them out loud, I also trust myself that I can find that thing, mm-hmm. find the meaning. And that's a very uncomfortable experience, I think, for a lot of folks, Yeah, right? To verbalize something that's still forming. Right. If you're looking like a, like an idiot or what, like <laughs> I, you know, I, I've been through enough rejection as an actor, I guess, that I, I, I got over some of that. <laughs> So you, you, you can relate, right? Yeah. Just- well, you know, and, and I'll have this experience and I'll just, I'll have this inner knowing or a sense. I have no quantifiable evidence for it, but I just know it to be true. And my partner is an engineer and he loves quantifiable evidence. Sure. So it's like, okay, but I just know it to be true. I, I don't have the quantifiable evidence yet, but within me, I sense it and it's not... It's not my, it's not my head because my head is really loves to trip me up. So I know when I feel something within me, that's deeper than the perception of who I am is. Mm. Mm. As you share that, I, uh, like the awareness that was popping up in me was, was I don't think I know what, what truth is necessarily, but I, I have, I focus on what's the, what's the meaning that I'm able to make from something right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. with, with that important awareness of that's, that's my meaning making right now, that, that, that's right. really all it is. Right. And, and, but it speaks to me like, because, because there's an infinite, you know, there's not an infinite, there's take the English language is 250,000 words. It, 
essentially you know, round figure in the English language, if I'm making meaning from something is, and I'm using language, I might only be using three words, 10 words, like that matter. That's what matters. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm paying attention to. Not necessarily that it's true, but, oh, interesting. This is how I'm making meaning right now. What's that telling me about this experience? How can I connect potential dots? And, and are there themes to be paying attention to? And that, that's where I really enjoy awareness is when we can connect certain things mm-hmm. together and, and learn something new. One of the ways that my awareness has increased over the past few months actually has been if I feel a feeling, I can discern if that feeling is mine or if it's someone I've picked up. Mm. And being an empath, <laughs> I know yeah. you know this. Mm-hmm. And so it's a fascinating thing. It's like, okay, is this mine? Is it not mine? If it isn't mine, I can release it through breath and say, okay, I'm, I'm, getting this out of my system and I'm asking for the highest light to, to transcend it into love. And if it is mine, what's going on? Because if it's a bad feeling, that isn't me. Mm. Because innately you and I are divine beings living in bodies and our innate being is peace, love, joy, and bliss. So if we're not feeling that, it's something that's telling, it's a story that's within us that's telling us something that we're not. Mm. I don't know that I have the same experience of, um, of identifying us as, that's interesting as in the way that you did, the language mm-hmm. that you did. Because I, I, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say I enjoy some of the other emotions. Right. Right. That might be more challenging. I don't enjoy them either. <laughs> I, don't in, I don't necessarily enjoy them, but but I but I I have just I have found a level of appreciation, mm-hmm. right? Because because when they're activated, they're telling me something, right? And sometimes, and I and I I appreciate what you're saying from an empath standpoint of what is mine and what is someone else's. One of the challenges I think that I sometimes experience, maybe you can relate to this uh, as an actor. Sometimes I like taking other people's emotions and mm-hmm. trying them on and playing, and sometimes and, and I think. This, Maybe some of the challenges being aware of when is that happening as opposed to when am I just not aware that that's what's happening and I'm spinning because someone else is spinning. But the awareness and the intentionality of it, I can often find to be a playground. And I I can get really curious, oh, what's it like to explore it with this amount of intensity or this amount of sadness or or hysteria Mm -hmm. or whatever? And, And the recognition of it's a costume that can be taken on or off. Right. But I've, I've, one of the things that I've learned and kind of enjoy a little bit, maybe, maybe in a, in a maniacal way, a little bit, <laughs> is that, is that when I don't tell people that that's what's happening, <laughs> right? Oh no, I'm just, I'm just putting on a, I'm, I want to try this on. Right. If I don't, if I don't share that, I can freak people. <laughs> and I've been in some of those experiences that like, that were just, that were fascinating, but, but really important for the awareness of. Oh, when I do that, like I should let other people know. Yeah. Are there like, who are you? This is not the person that I, like, I can really trouble, <laughs> trouble folks. <laughs> I used to do a voiceover improv, which was hysterical because we couldn't see each other. So it was all that's fun. That's fun. It, it was all audio, and, and we would get so wild. Because yeah. nobody was watching us. And it was like a two hour every week where we just got to play in this field of what if. Yeah. Or and. And it released this connection with my emotions, which growing up being highly sensitive to a manic depressive mom, that was challenging for me to feel my emotions. So it was this big release for me to act, I have emotions, this is really amazing, and I can play with the emotions. And it just enabled me to open more up to the emotions that I actually have within me that are mine. Love that. One one of the first live posts that I did once the coronavirus started really creating this this lockdown scenario, I I was getting so pent up with with panic and, and crazy thoughts like, crazy thoughts, rabbit holes, like left and right. Mm. And, and I, and I just had this moment of like, Oh, like I need permission to just freak out for five minutes. Yeah. And like, what is it to exaggerate that and go like fully Mm. into it? And, 
And, and the first person that I shared some of these thoughts with was my wife. And I was like, I'm kind of nervous to say this out loud to you. Like, cause you're going to, you're going to look at me like I'm losing my mind. Uh, but she, you know, she created a safe place where I could share a few things. And then I just had that, that recognition right afterwards of, oh, we need permission to do this because now I can let that go. Mm-hmm. But if I don't give myself an opportunity to explore it and feel some of it, then, uh, then it owns me. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that was not a healthy place for me to come from. So the ability to every few days to give myself some kind of, of exploratory outlet, like I'm going to try on the, you know, the, the, the costume of end of the world, like, mm. let's just, like just give myself permission to, to go there. And then I'm going to get, you know, maybe plan the total other side of hope and enlightenment and all that will occur as a result. And, and then explore, you know, variations in the middle to kind of find what, what is, what is, what is me. Mm-hmm. I can only sometimes find that by, by uh, exploring the edges, so to speak. Yeah. What's available. That's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I felt, that felt fun to explore. I, I hadn't articulated it that way yet. Yeah. It's, it's just such a great idea because like, I just, for me, my thing is because I'm so sensitive if I start going down that road, what I do is get frustrated because I can't fix it. Mm-hmm. So my thing is, okay, what, knowing that, what can I do to fix it? Because I have to have a solution. I can't just wallow in the fear. I can have fear. Like one of my friends just posted today that she's got coronavirus. I'm like, okay, what do I do? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is pray for the highest healing for her because I'm that I know prayer works. And the second thing I'm going to do is say, what do you need? What can I do for you? Because that's action. Mm-hmm. And if I just, for me, that, that just, just the emotions without action is, is not helpful because I get stuck in my head. Yeah, I get, I get that. But my, uh, you're helping me um, kind of process some of my pathway in, in managing this. And, and this, so this morning I, I got news that, uh, that some of my parents live in a, an independent living community where there's also assisted living and a memory care facility mm-hmm. and they'd been virus free. And then this morning, you know, we heard that that two people in the memory care unit had been diagnosed and just, you know, having done enough reading and knowing what happens in these, you know, in these, in these kind of elder care facilities, like, it is not a good situation. No. And, and, and so the, this morning, you know, processing some of the fear, nervousness, even anger in certain aspects, I did a bit of that processing this morning, but I, I agree with you. If I have to do a certain amount of processing so that I can return to something productive, right. make a contribution, be impactful. Mm-hmm. If I, if I, if I allow myself to just sit in my mind and spin I can get into a depressive state where yeah. uh, I can be immobile for a while. And that's, that's the, the, the unhealthy end of that spectrum. So some kind of outlet is what I've discovered for myself. Yeah. I need to find in order to move through it and get mm-hmm. to that place of what do I want to do? Right. Because if you, if you make a decision from that place where you haven't fully processed it, it's not going to be a good decision. <laughs> I know this firsthand. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting term, though, fully processed, right? Like, man, I, I am a, um, you remind me, Chris, Kristen, our, our, the president of our company is a, is a data collector. Like, she t- she's a long-term, collect all the information, you know, study everything, make a decision. And I'm like, hey, you got three minutes, tell me what's going on, and then we'll decide. Like, I'm a, I think it's called quick start, mm-hmm. right? So, so fully, I, I don't, I don't do a lot with, with fully processed <laughs> I do a lot with partial process, I think. <laughs> and, and sometimes I think that gets me in trouble. And sometimes yeah. I think uh, I find the answers as I, as I, as I go. And I can, I've probably been validated too many times <laughs> in that direction to, uh, to think that it's, a, it's, a, it's something that needs to be adjusted. But, <laughs> but, uh, but no, that, that's interesting, right? To what degree do we need to process in order to... to to get to a place where we can make a contribution. That's amazing for anyone to be aware of for themselves. Well, for me, what I do is I will allow myself, and I'll, I had an example earlier this year. So I was, last year, I was born with a dislocated hip. And in, within six weeks, I was in traction. And As a six-week-old child? Six-week-old child. 
And I never allowed myself to feel that, like all the emotions with that. And I had someone who gave me permission, back to permission, to feel what my six-month-old felt or my six-week-old felt. And for about 90 seconds, I actually felt it. And I was Mm -hmm. doubled over in pain and I was sobbing hysterically. And I was breathless from the pain of it. And then after 90 seconds, it was gone. Mm. So that's what I mean by processing. It's like if you fully focus on that emotion and you let it go through you, then you don't have to carry it anymore. It's interesting. uh, In my experience, to have that degree of processing, I've needed to do that in relationship. Okay. Um, I did, I did, uh, I did a bunch of work at, at the Gestalt Institute of Cleveland, which I'm just a huge, huge fan of. I think what they do over there is miraculous. And, and, and we did a lot of that level of processing, mm-hmm. but, uh, but with very curated guidance and mm-hmm. safety and people who I got like the experts who've been doing it for 30 years, who I got to watch and they're like wizards and magicians, you know, what they can do to support people in these like experiences where it's like, Oh, this is about to go off the rails, and mm. and to have someone who's watching that and knows how to keep it at at a, at the edge of its boundary, but still within a safe enough place to do some mm-hmm. brilliant work. I don't think I could that degree of processing. I'm not able to do on my own, which right. is why one one of the reasons that I really love learning in community mm-hmm. is for the depth that's available for for me. And we all, we're all we all do this differently, but but I'm able to process more deeply amidst others. And with, uh, I, with safety of guidance. Yeah, I will. I will say that because because she she opened the space for me to be able to do it. I couldn't have gotten there on my own because really hard, it was right? really it was scary. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know what six week like other than what's in me. I don't know what six week old fear is. And it's like okay, so so, that, right? so my my adult brain is going. That is the scariest thing that could ever happen to you. Don't go there because you're going to die. Well, I didn't die, but that's my logic. Sure. Like the emotion is just like that pent up little, like pulling 50 and a half years out of me in repressed. Sure. Yeah. And so can't do it by myself. No, but to be able to put it down after that is extraordinary. Yeah. I I get that. I've, I've, I've participated in moments like that. I've, I've watched, uh, I've watched people shed a lifetime of weight, uh, in the most profound and beautiful ways. And truly, a, a you know, some of the greatest gifts I've, I've seen human beings be given. So I, yeah. I, I wish this kind of work for everyone. It really is. It's profound personally, professionally. I mean, it just impacts everything. Mm-hmm. How did you develop your vulnerability project? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. The, but by the first few years of our business, you know, we're so focused on books like that mm-hmm. was, it's still 50% of what we do, but back then it was, it was really everything. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and we came to discover through our process, like we were never a transactional company. It was always transformational. And, mm-hmm. and so we, we talked about it, like we, we help people write the book they're born to write. Very different than a book that, that shares what someone has learned their knowledge is, is to share a who mm-hmm. I am book. And, and that's a, a not it's never been an easy process for right. anyone because it's very hard to be objective about like how do you put a frame on your own you know identity mm-hmm. it's this vast open space and you're trying to figure out how do i frame this in a way that someone could take a quick look at it and go oh i get you right and and that's not easy and and, and we were finding in our process that the things that people would share with us at the beginning and that you know we're, we're in kind of one category of vulnerability and then about three months in, when there was a fair amount of trust, like a whole new set of information came out. About six months into a process, we found that people were willing to tell us things that they never told their spouse. Wow. And then nine months into a project, they were willing to say things out loud they'd never said to themselves. Wow. So, right? And so that's, so our, our whole thing was you, you have to transform through the process of writing your book if you want anyone to transform through reading it. So, so we, were, we were taking people through that process. And eventually, of course, the recognition of, oh, wow, vulnerability is playing a huge role here. And there's actually a process for how do we create 
you know, the safety of a space so that someone can step in to those different uh, levels of, of experience. And, and then there's a whole pathway we found that, that people would take once, once they started sharing this with people outside of the team working on it, right? So, so we would recommend usually for the first nine months, like this is not, this is too fragile for you to be showing anybody, like keep mm. this between you and your team. And then around, you know, around somewhere between seven and nine months into the project, we would say, I want you to find the, who's the person that you trust the most, to feel mm. absolutely the safest with. Not unusual for that to be a spouse. And we say, okay, this is ready for them to see, you know, what if you shared a chapter or the first couple of chapters? And they'd be typically the person's terrified. Like it's yeah. really a scary experience to show more of yourself to someone whose opinion matters more than anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they would share this and and immediately that person you know, would read it and almost always the response was like, Oh my lord, I love you so much more. This Aww. is amazing and beautiful. And within three seconds, I swear to God, we would watch our client go from being afraid of that person's reaction to completely dismissive. You love me. You have to say that. And it's just, a, it's, just a, like, it's just, a, it's just over and over. We would see this. And then, and then we'd say, okay, it's time to find someone who's one degree less safe. Mm-hmm. Usually that ends up being a, a friend uh, or a relative that's not a spouse and they'll share it and they'll have the same, the same reaction and, 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 they, and they will dismiss that too. <laughs> You're my friend. You have to say that kind of, and then it's like, okay, well, now we get to the third concentric circle. And oftentimes that's someone they work with and they'll share it with that person and they'll get the same reaction. And at that point, it becomes something they cannot dismiss, like something mm-hmm. psychologically changes mm-hmm. and they go, just share it with the whole world. I'm good. That's but, awesome. But you cannot do that at the beginning. It's too vulnerable. Like, so, right. so there's this, this, a certain kind of validation that my vulnerability will not defeat me. It will, it will, you know, it will not become more than I can manage. And so we just take that concentrically outwards into slightly less safe experiences until someone's totally comfortable. So, so to get back to your question, you know, we were trying to figure out, okay, we understand now we understand vulnerability and we understand how to create that space. Our price tag to work with us on a book is not small and it feels rather exclusive and we'd like more people to have access to this experience. So we kind of asked, uh, at this point, I was starting to go to conferences and, and I had gone to my first Conscious Capitalism CEO Summit and, and came out feeling like, oh, people did not feel comfortable to really be themselves and take risks until it was time mm. to leave this event. Like, but we, know how to, we know how to help expedite that process. What would that look like for us to play a role there? And that's where we came up with the vulnerability wall as an mm. opportunity for a community experience that created the equalization of human beings, which is in our vulnerability, not in our success. Our success mm-hmm. creates hierarchy and differentiation and how big is my company compared to that person, all this mental garbage you know, that can overtake us. But when we learn that person lost their company, that person is afraid, and that person who runs a multi-billion dollar company is, is nervous about other people in the room, right? Or this person mm-hmm. is really afraid because they're here at this conference, but their parent is in a hospital. Like, holy shit, now, yeah. now we are equal human beings. So, so the walls started taking off because they were creating these experiences. And then we said, okay, that's still not super inexpensive. We have to send artists somewhere. We have to erect a physical installation. <laughs> so then we said, what's, what's a version that someone can take into their home? And that's where we came up with the game. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you. It's been a really rewarding, fun journey to create those kinds of connective experiences that are, that are moving at a soul level for people. Yeah, because vulnerability is such a perceived terrifying thing. I perceive it as terrifying when yeah. I'm in it. Right? Yeah, I mean. It's sexy. To, I, I use the language of sexy to witness. And of course, I'm not talking about sexual, but like, but like something lights up in me when I, when I can be in, right, a witness to somebody who's having the experience of saying something out loud they haven't said before and that they're really nervous about a room receiving. Like that kind of courage, it, it ignites something in me to just be in the presence of that. And so the kind of inquiry became, well, what if we could create a community where everyone liked to attempt that, at least on a regular intervals, 
what would life feel like? How, what, what would our impact be as a community to the world? Where's the magnitude better? I mean, that's would. certainly a belief that I hold. Absolutely. Because if we can share our humanity instead of all of the things in our head, we can feel that thread of connectivity mm-hmm. because we're open to it. Yeah, and we're part of something. We're not isolated by our own story. Yeah, heads and it is. It's such you know. It's something that I that I particularly enjoy is watching people who are just insanely resistant. You know, um, kind of give in over time. <laughs> and, and some of the people that that of course I've hired, you know, have looked at me at the beginning of this stuff like, "Great that you do this." I'm in operations, like you know, like we handle the logistics. Like you go over there and do your vulnerability stuff. But over time, you know, people have had to participate and, and have stretched themselves. And and Kristen, our president, is totally one of those people. Like, we did improv games when she That's first awesome. came aboard, and she was like, never again. <laughs> Hated it, like, with every fiber of her being was so uncomfortable. But through years of, of doing this stuff, and she's been to the Gestalt Institute with me several times now and, and done some profound work on herself and her, and her relationship with her husband mm-hmm. in our community. And and just at the end of last year, she gave her first public presentation on the value of personal development in the workplace. And it was just it's just so awesome, to, awesome. to see her thriving and, and sharing and, and having grown. She loves feedback now. Feedback mm. used to just terrify her. And now she's like, can't get enough. Can't get enough. Tell me, tell me, tell me. And it's just beautiful. And she's teaching other people how to how to be more open and that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. She's extraordinary. And it's, it's such a, I think it's a cultural thing where we just don't feel that it's safe to open up. And in my own journey, I know that the more I share what I feel and share what I am called to, the more alive I feel. I think that we are, um, we're not taught how to do this well. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's scary because um, when we do realize that it, there's value, we have to start at the bottom of the ladder and nobody likes not being, I mean, most people don't like not being good at things. And I think that there are also some really important parameters that support vulnerability, right? Like there's there's nothing more heartbreaking to me or a few things more heartbreaking to me than than watching someone attempting to be vulnerable when the stage has not been set and readied. And they're having, you know, they're sharing something before seeing if the person they're sharing it with has the capability to be present right now mm-hmm. and to receive what's being shared. And in the absence of that, you know, if you don't tell me you're about to share something that that is a bit tender for you and and I get a notification and suddenly I'm doing this, right? Yeah. There's all kinds of storytelling that's going to go on in mm-hmm. your brain. And most of it's not going to be positive, probably. Right, right. right. I'm not the important. Insinuation is not going to be, oh, they must have an emergency. Right, <laughs> right. It's going to be like, oh, I don't really matter. Why am I bothering? It's right, and then and then and then scar tissue can build up, and and mm-hmm. then we become hesitant to try again. So, so I think it's really important to set up these experiences so that they can be received well, and 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 I think it really is just a, a three step process, which is. Do you have the ability to be present with me? I have something I'd like to share with you. It'd be really helpful if you weren't distracted. And that gives the other person an opportunity to say either, yes, I can be present or to throw some terms at it. I can be present and I do have a a sister in the hospital right now and I'm waiting for a text. So if my phone goes off, you might see me check it quickly. If it's not Mm -hmm. that, I'm totally back with you, but I do need to keep an eye on that. And then that gives you the opportunity to say, awesome. I'd love to proceed or totally get that. And I don't think this is the right time. Can we right. schedule a time, right? So just the, the, just the invitation of, uh, or the, or the inquiry of, can you be present with me? And if not, that's totally cool. Like, let's just determine what's possible right now. Mm-hmm. And then can you, if I'm going to share with you, I'm going to ask that you try to reserve judgment in whatever way that you can. Does that feel like it's something you can try to do? Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, I'll try to do that. And then the third and last piece being, please understand that I do not need or want a solution to this. I'm not <laughs> looking to be fixed. I'm, I, I'm just asking to be heard. Yeah. That setup 
really uh, mitigates a lot of the damage that can be done in a vulnerable experience. Something that I certainly see is you people expressing something vulnerable, and then na- a lot of natural human instinct is is to fix or solve. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, nothing makes someone feel less heard than someone simply trying to fix them because now there's an insinuation that they're broken. Mm-hmm. There's just all kinds of stuff that, that psychologically, subconsciously goes along with that. So just the the opportunity for people to to to, to share something and the reflection back uh, be an indication that they've been heard. That is so powerful. Yeah, it is. So like insanely powerful. We've done this with big groups of people too. Like like a whole like a room of three hundred people where they're all oh, wow. like in these little pods of four or five. Mm-hmm. And we'll not allow them to cross talk and and essentially we're we're playing the game just in a big a big group. Mm-hmm. So someone will answer a question and all that anyone else can do is offer a gesture in response. Oh, and they're wow. done. And so it's like you, you have up to mm-hmm. you know, two minutes to answer the question out loud. And and if you finish early, we just ask that everyone sits in silence. And if anything comes up for you. You know, while you're sitting in silence, then then you continue. And some people like they'll share for a minute, and then they'll be like, "I'm done," and then they'll just sit there, and then it'll show up. Like oh, if they're wow. there, like 30 seconds of silence, and then boom, it's right there. And then for everyone else to just like you know, a gesture might be as simple as a as a bow or a like you know mm-hmm. or whoosh, like whatever it is that that is so powerful for yeah. people to just feel heard. Hmm. Mm. I love that so much. Me too. Me too. Because it's such a, so needed. The absence of it, the absence of that level of connection, I think it creates a lot more challenge than we need. So, you know, we talk about it within our company as uh, if I know what's in the emotional backpack you're carrying around during the day, our work together is an entirely different experience. If I don't know what's in your backpack and you exhibit behavior that I don't think is going to get us where we want to go. I'm just going to view you as a problem or a challenge that needs to be adjusted or fixed. If I know what you're carrying around, I'm an immediate support mechanism for you in contribution to the whole of where we're trying to get together. Mm -hmm. So then we can have a conversation of, hey, I saw this email that that you sent and I looked at the language of that and I know where you're at. Mm. I know what you're carrying with you. And I think we should give some thought to this. Maybe we need to go back and share something else with this client or that interaction that just, you know, that, that occurred. We need to be present to, and, and I want to support you. Like, I, let, let me take this from here mm-hmm. and you take care of you. Like, what, whatever mm-hmm. that is, like, we just show up entirely differently for each other and the absence of that in, in so many workplaces. And we've all been in these workplaces. Mm-hmm. It's brutal. It's just the the humanity gets sucked out of it and it's just a bunch of people walking around trying to fix each other because each other is again in the way of you know what we're trying to accomplish or what I'm trying to accomplish and and we're unkind and we're not growing and there's all kinds of of negativity around that so so simply creating a, a vulnerability as a as a permission like a, a permission to access in the workplace it just it so dramatically alters a culture oh yeah beautifully. I was just uh, thinking back to one of the companies I worked for and thinking of how my boss, if he'd actually been compassionate, how the world would have changed. <laughs> yeah, and some, you know, like, some people don't know how to access that, right? So, yeah. so I think there's also the, 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 a process of, that I've discovered in my own development. The more that I've worked on myself and, and the more grace I give myself, the more grace I'm able to give other people mm-hmm. and, and be able to recognize, oh, like, wow, that person sucks at compassion and they're really amazing at this other thing that I'm terrible at, right? If I need compassion from them, oh, well, maybe I'm going to have to play a role in being helpful mm-hmm. so that they can access that because I know how to do that piece. Right. That is very different than, yeah, than traditionally how we look at one another. When you know, I mean, look at the conscious capitalism community. I find this, this was a huge part of my own development a lot of us come into that community and we're in awe because it's like, oh, this is the language for this part of my identity that I, I haven't quite wrapped my head around. And like, oh, now I'm, like, I'm part of something and, 
and this is what I've been, how I've been wanting to live and yada, yada. And we have all this identity related stuff. And then we have that first moment when something from the movement or some, someone within the, like does something that we perceive as unconscious. And then it's like all this dis internal dissonance of, wait, what is this really? And <laughs> are we just fooling ourselves? Like there's all this chatter, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and the recognition eventually that I was able to move to was, oh no, this consciousness stuff is really messy. And if I judge you based on what the areas that I have deemed important for my consciousness, if I judge you based on that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have something to say about a lot of stuff that yeah. I'm seeing, right? I might be really good with conscious communication, but it doesn't mean that I can apply that to our operating agreements. Mm-hmm. I can't just infuse that into my legal language, right? Like, so <laughs> It'd be I great know if you guy, could. <laughs> I know a guy who like spent his whole life getting to that place with conscious law. Mm. And right. So, so like we all have these areas where we've infused consciousness and developed and developed and developed, but we can't judge each other by those. Or we realize we're just the, I think the honest reality is we're mostly unconscious most of the time. And occasionally we have moments <laughs> where we're, uh, uh, you know, somewhat conscious Mm-hmm. And man, we're just trying to up that 1% for as many people as we can to have a, a very legitimate impact on one another in the world. It's a messy, the more conscious I become, the more conscious I'm, I become of like, there's not enough time in the day to be conscious with everything. So now oh, I'm aware man. of where am I intentionally unconscious because I simply can't be conscious everywhere. Yeah, I, I, I so sucks. get it. Oh yeah, like. I externally, I went on this, I took a vow of peace four and a half years ago, and I just went on this mission to do no harm. Yeah, well, I do the, the, it's, it, it, was, it is, has been amazing. But what I thought originally was, I'll just get rid of the external stuff. I'll just stop watching violence. I'll stop reading those Clive Custer books. I'll, you know, I'll just stop doing that. Well, <laughs> like that was just the beginning of the Pandora's box. And so, so external, it's, and, and as I get, more like, okay, so now I have three terracycle boxes, I compost, I'm, I'm like going to the farmers, like I do all these amazing things. And what comes in is what's next. Because I can't be aware of everything. But when I've mastered or at least become aware of something then I can turn to the next thing that I'm not aware of. Because I want to make sure that this is in my in, in my programming, okay, this is what you do. Like, do I meditate three times a day now? Yes. Why? Because it actually brings me a really deep sense of calm. Mm-hmm. I never thought I was going to do that. Like, meditate three times a day? That's insane. Why would I do that? Well, because I have nothing else to do. No, <laughs> because I want to keep my relationship. <laughs> Again, you can't rationalize your way into that kind of stuff. Like, you can only do it because you're finding it feels good. <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. But, but I know. Because I'm more, I'm more calm, I'm more present, I'm more able to listen to him. And then I don't get mad because I'm bringing that do no harm within. Mm. And so it's this constant process of fine tuning, I'll say. Yeah, yeah, constant for, forever, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then occasionally you find those big pockets of total lack of consciousness. It's like, wow, all missed that. Like, holy smokes. Mm -hmm. I love those. And I've only, I've only seen a couple that are, that have been really profound in the past few years, but that gives me like just the awareness of, Oh, there there are more of these. We've all got to (laughs) keep an eye out. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, what we're going through right now is obviously there's a, a, a big massive, right. Lack of, of, consciousness that that got us into right. this sticky mess and you know a lot of this information being available before and people not acting on this and that and like nothing like a pandemic to show you what you don't know right right but but looking for those situations in in life when life is more normal and more calm is is just as important well and and finding the the deeper shift of what is important you know what really is important is the stuff important is the relationship important is the the thinking of others important 
or is it doing what we were doing before? And I'm, yeah. I'm feeling, again, this is the non-quantifiable evidence, but I'm feeling the shift into that greater awareness because this is the opportunity. We're stuck inside. We can't socialize. Who knows if everybody's using Zoom, we might lose our internet at some point. You know, so what do we do? Mm -hmm. We have to show up with more compassion for ourselves. And at that point, we'll tap into our empathy and then we'll actually get more aware of the, the, the non-duality of other <laughs> and recognizing that we can all help each other and we're all, we're all human and we all need peace and love and food and compassion. <laughs> Only we could live off of love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Corey, it has been such an honor to spend time with you today. Thank you, Eric. I really uh, enjoyed this immensely. This was, this was healthy for my own processing of where we are. So Thank I you. appreciate the space that you've created. Thank you. And I have one final question. How okay. can people find you? Sure. They can uh, find us at roundtablecompanies.com. They can find me online. Um, Corey Blake 9000, 9000 is uh, my Twitter, my Instagram, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y at roundtablecompanies.com if they want to reach out directly. Perfect. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Erica. This was just really good for my heart. You're so very welcome. The action item of the week, since there are so many amazing good parts to this, is to tune in and figure out how you can give someone space to share their vulnerability. Test this out with a loved one and give yourself some time. Start out with, hey, I have something vulnerable to share. Are you available? Give them time to respond and let them really think about it. Make sure that they're saying, oh, I'm expecting a call or no, I've got something else to do, but give them the space to just shift their awareness to be able to receive you. Then share something that is vulnerable. doesn't have to be the most vulnerable thing on the planet, but it might be something that you're just not comfortable sharing and see how you are received. Try this a couple times over the course of a week and see how your conversations shift. That's it for the week. Until next time, I bid you the highest peace, love, and prosperity. Namaste. Trust and let go and 